This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Jason Burns and Access Church in Lakeland, Florida. For more information, visit access.tv. Merry Christmas, everybody. So good to be with you. Quick poll, quick survey. Was that triggering for anybody in the room? Did anybody get elbowed by the person you came with today? Okay, they say confession is good for the soul. Out of curiosity, would anyone like to confess and get this off of your chest today that you have been a present peeker? You've opened a present or looked at a present before it was your time. Bunch of people, a bunch of liars too. One of my favorite moments as a dad in the Christmas season was when my middle child, Gavin, when he was really little, he loved the, the movie Lilo and Stitch. And so for Christmas, we got him a Stitch stuffed animal but we made the mistake of putting it in a bag, and then after it was in the bag, we put tissue paper over it. That was a mistake. A couple days later, we came, and the bag had mysteriously fallen over, and the tissue paper was moved. So we went to Gavin, and we said, Gavin, do you have any idea what happened to this present? He goes, mm, I don't really know. Did you open it and take a look in it? And his eyes welled with tears, and he said, it's just so hard. <laughs> it's so fun. I love Christmas. I love the Christmas season. I love Christmas traditions. It's what really makes some of the Christmas season so special every year. I love everything about the Christmas season. I love Christmas cookies. Come on, somebody. Anybody love some Christmas cookies? Because you can't lose weight in the new year unless you gain it first, everybody. Write that down. Some of you are like, this is my church. Holler. Um, I love a good Christmas tree. Anybody Christmas tree fans? Statistically, 77% of American households put up a Christmas tree, 77%, but there's a divide. Of the 77% that do, 81% do an artificial tree, whereas 19% do a real tree. So I just want to see if that holds true in the room. Out of curiosity, let's do this. Um, How many of you like to get a real fire hazard every year? Awesome. Uh, Me too. It's the only way to do it. I love that. I love Christmas lights. I love Christmas movies, Home Alone and Elf. So good. I love them. I love this season. But one of my favorite things in the Christmas season is I love the nativity scene. And we set them out at my house. My wife and I actually collect nativity scenes. We've gotten them from different places in the world that we visited. As a kid, my parents had a really beautiful one made of olive wood from Israel that they set up every single year. I love the nativity scene. In fact, it's fun because creative people on the internet like to make their own versions. And so here's a few that I found online. This one's for my wife. Nice, solid nativity scene. I like this next one a lot. This person said, it's been four days and my mom still hasn't noticed. So here's the picture. And it's like, noticed what? Next slide for me, please. That's what you haven't noticed. Yep, yep. I like this next one, a Gen Z person who's a minimalist came up with this idea for the most minimalistic way to celebrate the nativity scene. And for all the men in the room, for all my brothers, my favorite of all, the meat nativity scene, everybody. (laughs) Nothing wrong with a little bacon-wrapped Jesus. Can I get a good amen? And I love that. I love it for so many reasons. And when you think about the nativity scene, everybody has one thing in common usually centered in the nativity scene, is what the brilliant philosopher Ricky Bobby called little eight pound, six ounce, little baby Jesus. And he, he's in the middle. And what I love about the scene before we even get to it is how preposterous the nativity scene is. It starts with Jesus. And why is it preposterous? Because isn't it unique that God 
would choose to send his son into the world, and he chose to send him in the most feeble position imaginable. As a baby, helpless, completely dependent. The son of God, according to John chapter 1, put on flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. It's, it centers around Jesus. But then every good nativity scene has a couple other people that matter to the story. You have Mary and Joseph. And I said the story of the nativity scene is preposterous. The reason I find it preposterous is because if you really think about it, God chose two people who had no real place or no real need to be in the story. He could have chosen to send the son of God to be born of a king or an emperor or a prince. He could have sent him to a politician or a leader or a celebrity, and he chose two people marked by obscurity. A little Jewish girl, a teenager at oldest, unwed at the time, and a man who she was betrothed to, Joseph, who was a struggling carpenter, struggling to make ends meet. And I told you the story is preposterous for so many reasons. One of the reasons it's preposterous to me is a lot of the things that we believe about the Christmas story are actually shaped by the songs that we sing. The songs that we sing are beautiful and poetic, but they're not always exactly accurate. What, what do you mean? Well, one of the lines we sing in the songs is there was no room for them in the inn. You know this, this idea? Well, here's the thing. The part of the story that's interesting is Caesar had ordered a decree that everyone should return to their hometown to be counted for a census. So Mary and Joseph, very pregnant, they go to Bethlehem, the city where Joseph was from, and when they get to Bethlehem, it says there's no room for them in the inn. But what's interesting is if this was actually Joseph's hometown, wouldn't there be a family member, even a distant cousin who was there for them to stay with? Why was there no room for them? Because of the scandal of her being an unwed, pregnant, soon-to-be mom. Nobody wanted to be associated with this, and so they have the baby in a stable, a little cave, surrounded by animals. And then the story gets even more and more unique because then, then we meet shepherds and angels. And what's fascinating to me is Luke chapter 2, there's this moment with the shepherds and the angels where it says this, the angels appear, this is the glory of the Lord shone around them, they were afraid, and the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Again, the story of Christmas is preposterous at best. Why? Because this story, according to Scripture, is for all the people. Why, why does this matter? It matters that the angels chose to show up to the shepherds. The shepherds were seen as nobody. They were seen as people who had less worth than everyone else in society. They were even decided to not be worthy enough to count in an election. They didn't have a vote because they were seen as somehow less than human. And God chose the angels to show up to these people that the rest of humanity looked down upon. Because the message of Jesus and the message of Christmas is for all the people. Well, then if you have a good nativity scene, you also know that there's a few people that make the story. There are the three wise men. And I love them because it's, it's funny. The wise men really shouldn't even be a part of the story. They shouldn't be a part of the nativity because we know from scripture that the wise men, they did come and they did bring gifts, but they didn't come for about two years. Now, we don't know if there was three of them. There's always three in a nativity scene. We don't know if there was three or 30 or 300, but we do know that they brought gifts. And again, what's so interesting about the Christmas story is if it really is good news of great joy for all people, 
Just the story of the wise men alone is reason to stop and to give God thanks. You see, these wise men came from 800 miles away. We don't know why they came, but maybe they read the stories of prophecies found in the books like Isaiah and in the book of Daniel. Maybe they just wanted to see it for themselves, but when they come, they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Again, to me, what's interesting is gold is a gift that was reserved for royalty. You would give gold to a king. Frankincense was a gift that would have been given to a priest that had a spiritual connotation to it. And the third one, myrrh, is actually something that would have been used to preserve a body that had been dead and was on its way to being buried. All three gifts are actually prophetic and telling the story of who Jesus is, but ultimately why he came. The story of the nativity is fascinating, but it really is preposterous. Now, the first nativity scene that we can find as we study history came from the year 1223. St. Francis of Assisi set up the first one after visiting Israel. He wanted to make one for himself. And since then, they've been put everywhere. They're in homes. They used to be in city squares. They used to be in courthouses. They used to be everywhere. And people would set them up all different ways, but usually when it was set up, it was set up something like this. Now, I don't want to take a moment of our time to argue how to set up the nativity scene in your home, but I do want to ask the question as we approach Christmas, how is the scene of Christmas, how is the nativity scene set up in your life? You see, for many of us, if we're just not careful, we will have Jesus in our story, and he is the centerpiece of the story. But what tends to happen to us unintentionally is that we leave Jesus in the story. We just kind of move him or we relegate him to the outskirts of the story. What we do, again, unintentionally, is we, we tend to move other characters to the center of our story. For some of us, it's the shepherds. Well, the shepherds can represent work. Nothing wrong with work. Colossians chapter 3 says, do your work as unto the Lord because who you're representing is him. It matters that we work, but you need to understand this. If all of our lives revolve around something, we need to make sure that it's not something that wasn't created to sustain us. I'm walking with a dear friend right now through his second divorce because he has been married to his job, sleeping at the office, sometimes for weeks on end, addicted to work. And all it's ever done, got him lots of money, but it's left him broken and shattered, feeling like he'll die alone. I wonder for how many of us, we find our identity in what we do, and the Christmas story is a reminder that what you do matters, but it's not what you should center your life around. There's other things that we do unintentionally. For some of us, what we tend to do is we tend to move the wise men to the center of our story. And maybe just for today, the wise men can represent things like wisdom and success and fame and discovery and money. Maybe for us, in this social media, TikTok, Instagram-driven kind of world, maybe for us it can represent being discovered as an influencer. And for many of us, we will do anything we can to be known and to be discovered. We will do anything to have as much money as we possibly can. And so what we do unintentionally is we center or focus our lives around whatever it takes to be this. One of the most formative stories in my life happened when I was a kid. My family lived in South Florida. And the West Palm Beach area is really interesting because it is known for having lots of money, but you can literally drive down one street with homes that are worth tens of millions of dollars, and you can turn onto the next street, and it is the poorest of poor areas. 
And in this area where there's like this wide disparity of people and wide disparity of income and resources and affluence, my, my dad, who was a pastor at the time, met a man who was getting old in his life. He wanted to meet with my dad. He said, look, I've, I've earned millions upon millions of dollars. This man is a name that if I were to tell you his name, most of you wouldn't know it, but he invented something that has directly influenced your life. He has created something that everybody over the age of like 25 has owned at one point or another that bore his name. And you would think that he had everything. His world centered around money and success, and he had all of it, the thing that many of us would love to trade our job or our income for. And he sat down with my dad and he said, I have everything and I have nothing. I'm going to die soon, and my kids are already fighting with each other over who will get whatever I leave behind. You see, when you center your life around the wrong thing, you'll always get the wrong results. Uh, For some of us, it's not just our work, or it's not just fame and success. For many of us, it's family. And I love family. In fact, there's things that we say as a culture like family first, and it sounds good. It almost sounds spiritual or biblical. Nothing wrong with loving your family. My favorite thing about the Christmas season besides the worship of our Savior is time with family. You can always buy more gifts. You can always get a different tree, but the time is the irreplaceable gift that all of us have. And I love the gift of family. The problem is when you center your life around family, What you do is you unfairly put a weight and a burden on them that no other person was ever intended to carry. You put on them expectations and hopes and dreams that no person has the ability or the strength to withstand. You place on them things that they can't do or deliver for you, only God can meet. So what would it look like if all of us just made this decision that it's not them? So it's not, it's not work and it's not fame and success. Here's one more. This is just for some of the people in the room. It's not our pets, but maybe for you it is. I have seen your Instagrams, everybody. You have some issues. Like, don't dress your your cats in clothes. That doesn't make sense to anybody. Whatever. Okay. What if for a moment, what if the animals represented our recreation? The things that we do that are just for fun, that are about making you and me happy. Let me say this to you, nothing wrong with having hobbies, nothing wrong with loving your life. One of my great hobbies is football. I love football. And every year in September, I make a decision that I'm going to let a group of men that I have never and probably will never meet dictate my mood for the next five months. Do you know what I'm talking about? And when I was a kid, my team, God's team, the Dallas Cowboys won three Super Bowls in four years. Since then, they have broken my heart over and over and over again. I have already put it in my will that when I die, I want the Dallas Cowboys to be the pallbearers at my funeral so they can let me down one last time, everybody. (laughs) Maybe you like college football. I want you to think about how silly this is. Imagine allowing a group of 19-year-olds to dictate your happiness. It doesn't make sense at all. Let me say this to you, there is nothing wrong with hobbies, there's nothing wrong with entertainment, there's nothing wrong with loving a good concert or a great movie or enjoying a great book. There's nothing wrong with doing things that make you happy, in fact, God celebrates that with you. But when you center your life around it, it can only lead to brokenness and emptiness. 
You can have everything and still have nothing. And here's what we do. Like, we don't do this on purpose, but what we do with some of these categories is we think to ourselves, well, Jesus is still a part of my life. But that's not what the Christmas story is about. In fact, I want to show you a verse that's really about Christmas, but it's about more than Christmas. This is a verse that may have never been taught in a Christmas service ever. It's found in the book of Colossians. The Apostle Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament, wrote a book. It's literally only four chapters. You could read it in about 10 or 11 minutes. What I love is chapter one is all this theology. It's very deep. It's very challenging. And then the next three chapters are very practical. They're very helpful. And what I love about this is that's how I hope to pastor people. I want to help people understand what God's word says, but I view my job as a pastor to help people take steps to understand what God says and then to apply it to their lives. Let let me show you what Paul says in the book of Colossians chapter one. He says, we look at this son and we see the God who cannot be seen. At Christmas, what God understood is that for us to fully know and love him, we would need to see him. So I love the way the message translation of John chapter one starts. It says, in the beginning, God sent his son. And Jesus put on flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. It's that God took on skin and bones and stepped into the world for you and for me. It's, it's this beautiful picture and why does this matter? Well, you understand that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. This is important for you to understand. The reason it matters is because he was fully God, it means he can do anything. It means he has the authority to forgive, the authority to heal, the authority to change your life. But because he was fully God and because he was fully man, the Christmas story should have meaning to you because he can do anything because he's God, but he understands everything you go through because he's also walked through this earth as a man. All the worry all the anxiety, all the sleepless nights. He gets it. Fear, he gets it. Whatever you're walking through, he understands because he's been here. So God put on flesh and blood for us. The verse goes on and says, we look at the sun and we see God's original purpose in everything created. It goes on for everything. Absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Pause here for just a moment. This is everything we just talked about. All of these things, work and success and family and hobbies and recreation, all those things are all gifts from God that are to be enjoyed. But here's what you need to understand. They find their purpose in him. Another way to say that is they find their rightful place in him. If you were to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, the heading before the verses we just would have read usually says something like the supremacy of Christ or the preeminence of Christ. What does it mean? It means that he has to be first. And until he's first, nothing else will make sense. The verse goes on and says this. It says, he, Jesus, was there before any of it came into existence. And this next line is the key line for you today. And he holds it all together, right up to this moment. I want to dedicate the rest of this message to those of you who have tried doing your life your way. The kind of life where Jesus is a part of the story, but he's not the centerpiece of the story. To those of you who've wanted to keep Jesus in one part of your life, but you want to live your life the way you want to live your life. And here's the thing, I could preach this to you I could give you story after story of people I've walked through or story after story of ways I've tried to do it my own way, but I don't need to preach this to you because life will preach this to you. 
You try to do life your way. You try to do it your way where Jesus isn't first, where our lives don't center around him, and you'll never get the results that God wants. One of the points from the verse that we just read a moment ago is simply this. When something breaks, the easiest way to get it restored again is to take it back to the person who made it, because the person who made it understands it best. When your life is broken, when your life feels out of order and it feels like it's not being held together, the best thing you can do is take it back to the one who created it in the first place. So I said it a moment ago, my job as a pastor is to help you take your next step with Jesus. I want to give you three next steps to every person in the room who might feel like Jesus has a part of your life, but he doesn't, he isn't the center of your life. To every person who feels like you've tried it in your own strength, but it still feels like it's not being held together, these three steps are for you. Number one, if you want Christmas to come alive, if you want Jesus to hold it all together, number one, you have to invite Jesus to take his rightful place. What is his rightful place? Nothing wrong with the stuff we talked about, but none of your life will make sense until Jesus is at the center. You have to make the decision. This is so important for some of us because what we want is we want our cake and we want to eat it too. We want to do life our way, but we still want God's results. If you want God's best for you, play by God's rules. You have to make the decision that Jesus is the center of everything. Second step you can take is you got to make this decision to involve him in every area of your life. It's so funny to me because what many of us want to do is we want to compartmentalize our life. We have our Sunday morning us. Like I go to church, sometimes I give a little bit, I serve so I feel better about myself. It's like I do that for Jesus on, that's Sundays. And then Monday, like I go to work. So there's like work me Monday through Friday. There's the nine to five me. And then there's the weekend me. There's the catch me at the club me. Like there's different versions of me. Let me say this to you, your faith will never make sense, and your relationship with God will never be fully realized until you let him be a part of every part of your life. There's no compartments, it's just a life with Jesus. Number three is this, you have to ignite a fresh passion to know him more. Another part of the Christmas story that's just interesting to me is we don't actually know from history what day Jesus was actually born. The way we kept time, the way that we kept calendars, the way all of that has changed many times in the last 2,000 years. Scholars argue over when he was born and none of them actually know. So several hundred years ago, a group of people got together and said, we should pick a day that the world stops to celebrate the greatest person to ever live. We should pick a day that we remember the life of Jesus born of a virgin for us. That we should honor the man that more books are written about in the history of the world than any other person by a mile. We need a day for Jesus. And they picked a day, December 25th, and it's not coincidence. They picked a day that they believed was the coldest and darkest day of the year. Why did they do this? Because in the darkest of moments, light shines the brightest. This is the Christmas story. For 400 years, God had been silent from his people. 
And when the angels appeared to Mary and Joseph, and when the angels appeared to the shepherds, it's like heaven screamed, light has come, the darkness has been pierced. You no longer have to live this way because God is coming near. So here's my question for you. Have you made the decision to let Jesus be the Lord of your life? Is this just something you do to check the box? If I went to a church service, I'm good for another year. Or have you allowed Jesus to become the center that your life revolves around? In the same way that our solar system wouldn't work without a sun, your life will not work without Jesus at the center. So what would it look like if all of us just made this decision this Christmas to say, Jesus, I'm done playing games. And from day to day forward, I'm choosing to move you from the outskirts of my life to the center where you belong. Every decision, everything I do, every moment of my life will center and revolve around you. Would you stand up with me all across this room? In a moment, we're gonna pray together and then we're gonna sing about what we talked about. Then we're gonna light candles and it's gonna be a special moment reminding us of what Jesus did, how light came and shattered the darkness. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes all across the room with me for just a moment. Maybe you're here today and this is just the thing you do because it's Christmas. Maybe you came and you don't know if you're right with God. Maybe you came today and Christmas just feels like another event on the calendar, but you want to experience the meaning, the purpose of Christmas, which is to move Jesus to his rightful place in your heart. Look, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna make you come forward. No one's gonna call you or visit you. We just wanna give you an opportunity to make the decision to follow Jesus. If you know that you need to start or restart a relationship with him, this moment's for you. If this is you, would you repeat this prayer? Just say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, I believe you came into this world as a baby. And the reason you came was to live and then to die, to pay the price for all of our sins. So Jesus, today we make this decision. We put you first. That means that we're going to follow you. It means that we're making the decision to receive your gift of forgiveness and we're choosing to let you be the Lord, which means you're the leader of our lives. We love you. We give you our lives. We invite you, Jesus, to be the center of it all.